A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Kiora, and welcome to this special podcast from Our Changing World on RNZ National. University of Otago Wildlife Management student Hannah Murdoch made this podcast for a science communication paper. She investigates the issue of urban biodiversity by causing her flatmates, Samantha van der Mespel, Katie Pettingill and Camille Harrison, and talking with the University of Otago zoology lecturer Yolanda van Hiesek. So I'm standing here in my Dunedin flat, or outside my Dunedin flat with flatmates, and we're about to go and find some wildlife, but where are we going? Uh, there will be Woodhall Gardens. I set out to explore the topic of urban wildlife and biodiversity in New Zealand. What native animals can we see in our backyards? What's the importance of urban areas for wildlife? How much do people know about this wealth of wildlife? How much do humans affect this wildlife? And what can be done to help wildlife thrive in these human-orientated conditions? I took my flatmates, Camille Harrison, Katie Pettengale and Samantha van der Mespel, all students of the University of Otago, to Woodhall Gardens in North Dunedin. I investigated what they knew about native New Zealand wildlife that can be seen in urban areas. I also spoke to Dr Yolanda van Hiesek, an Associate Professor in the University of Otago's Department of Zoology. She has been involved in urban biodiversity research, including investigating people and their gardens in Dunedin and exploring predation by cats. Like my flatmates, I also spoke to Yolanda while in the Woodhall Gardens on a different occasion. Here, Yolanda is talking about public awareness of native wildlife in urban areas. Say my son, who's just been through high school, then he says that there's no kind of there's nothing in the education, uh, in the curriculum that ever talks about those kinds of things at school. And so he, he reckons that most of the kids in his class, unless they had really kind of um, parents that you know, were into that kind of thing, that they wouldn't have a clue. And, um, and also I do remember attending a, um, a committee meeting, for the, the CAT committee, at the council um, where this lady that does all this kind of stray cat rehabilitation just asked me if there were any native species in the city at all. I asked my flatmates about what species they may find in their gardens or other urban areas. Uh, I'd expect to see a f- probably fantail, quite a few of those, uh, and a few tui as well, and just, yeah, again, the common finch, um, yuma cats. <laughs> I, I saw a, a frog once. Um, probably less exciting, just sparrows. I think starlings, are they the black? Um, and the odd mouse running around the garden. <laughs> Uh, hedgehogs. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. Can, can you tell between what's native and what's not native if you were just walking around here? No. no. I could tell by the names only because some of them are Māori and you'd just know that the Māori ones were New Zealand natives probably. But as far as looking at them goes, not a clue. I would have no idea. Um, I'd be able to, yeah, differentiate a few. So we've seen another bird. What? What's that? Another. It looks like another kiridu, the wood pigeon. Yeah, I think they're fairly common around here. Yeah. 
They're even just common flying around like Dunedin suburbs. It's where yeah. I first saw them, my first sighting. We have a fair bit of native wildlife in our cities, um, but it really depends on what city you're talking about because they do differ quite a lot. Well, the most visible ones would be birds and um, probably the ones that you see most commonly would be silver eyes. And other native birds that you see down here quite commonly are bellbirds, tuis. Um, you hear grey warblers uh, really often um, and also kiriru we have a lot. So, and Dunedin, which is the city that I'm most familiar with, um, probably about 54% uh, of the bird species here, so, for example, are native as opposed to exotic. It's possible to see native birds every single day or you can go out on a walk and see native birds so I think that's really great. Our beetle study showed that of the ones that we sampled in gardens, 68% um, of them were native. That was much higher than what we were expecting. Say so down here in Dunedin there's really only the common skink and um, you do find it in the city. It should be much more common than it is. It probably gets eaten by cats and hedgehogs. Whereas in other cities in the North Island, you've got several different kind of, of skinks and lizard species, um, geckos. Um, so they are reasonably well represented, but they'll be limited to little pockets, probably by invasive um, predators. Urban areas are not only homes for humans. Green areas in cities, including private and public gardens, can be good homes for our native wildlife. In your opinion, what is the importance of urban areas for native wildlife? They're important for native wildlife in a number of ways. And the first way is just that, that potentially they do provide important habitat. But they're also important because if we have those populations in cities and pe people can see those species, then they just develop um, a, a connection with those species. And so they, they're much more invested in trying to protect the species. So private gardens, what kind of functions do they play for native wildlife? Well, they just provide a lot of habitat. So in a city like Dunedin, which is quite a small city and it's quite green, then gardens actually cover 36% of the whole of the surface area of the city, which is the, the biggest single green space across the whole city. Um, the role that they play does depend a lot on um, sort of the structure of the vegetation in the gardens. Not only are urban areas habitat for wildlife, but the presence of wildlife in towns and cities can be enjoyed by humans and can be used for educating about conservation and for advocacy for threatened species. So you haven't come to Woodhall Garden before. Does it interest you being kind of like in an area that's slightly more natural than being in an urban area? Yeah, definitely. I think it's hard to find nature in Dunedin if you don't know where to look. So it's really good to find these places that you can come and take time out from studying. OK, Katie, you do a lot of tramping, so do you enjoy seeing wildlife in urban areas? I do, yeah. Um, I guess to me it suggests that there, there's some regeneration there in numbers. Well, say, in terms of how, they, how people relate to native wildlife, a lot of people really like it and want to support it. Most of us nowadays are brought up in cities and um, so some children never leave cities. You know, Some of the research we've done looking at children's connection with nature show that um, they may even live in the same neighbourhood as really wonderful places like beaches and um, native bush remnants, but they never actually even go there. So, um, so it's important that we design our cities so that they support wildlife, so that people 
um, interact and encounter it as part of their everyday life. They don't actually have to go out and find it. It's just part of their lives. But human actions can threaten wildlife. Since humans arrived in New Zealand, there has been modification to natural landscapes and the introduction of mammals that have come to be predators of our native wildlife. Therefore, many things we have done, and still do, can majorly affect the other animals around us. How do humans disturb and negatively impact native wildlife in urban areas? Uh, well, lots of different ways, um, just by being there. <laughs> uh, by being present, some species are much more tolerant to human disturbance, and when I say that, I just mean human presence than others. And so the things that humans actually plant and the way that they design their city and, um, and design their parks all have a, an impact. Um, and also people really like tidy things and wildlife doesn't. So, um, so we have to kind of uh, make people aware that a little bit of mess is a good thing sometimes. What should cat owners be aware of in terms of what their cats are up to outside? I think cat owners are aware already to some extent because um, cats tend to bring prey back um, to the house and present it to them. But what they really need to be aware of is that um, some recent studies have shown that cats actually bring back only about 25% of the things that they kill. They need to be aware that in that same area there will be a whole lot of other cats that are doing the same and, and that the combined impacts of all those cats is, you know, it's much greater than what, what they and what, what they're what they perceive from their own cat. What methods can be used to prevent cats preying on native wildlife? The most effective method is to keep your cat inside all the time. It's quite common in other parts of the world. In the United States, in some places, nearly 50% of cats are kept inside all the time. That's all they've ever known, and they're quite, quite happy. You can reduce the number of prey your cats catch by um, making it wear a bell and... Uh, there have been a couple of studies that have shown um, quite definitely that it does reduce the number of, of animals caught by about a half. And you can also, the, well, the latest thing is to kind of accessorise your cat with colourful things. And um, the latest thing that was developed just this year is the cat scrunchie, which is a, a little colourful tube of cloth that fits over a collar and it has a breakaway point. So, so the cat, if, if it does catch on something, then the cat doesn't get caught up. And it seems to be really effective at reducing bird predation, which is, which is great, um, and less effective at, at reducing um, small mammal predation, which is kind of ideal for the New Zealand environment. Even though we, as humans, are responsible for many of the challenges faced by wildlife in towns and cities, there are ways we can help the wildlife thrive. What are some ways that people can encourage wildlife into their gardens? Well, they can put up bird feeders. So that's a really easy thing to do, but it depends on what, you, what food you feed. So if you give sugar water, then you're going to get natives, and if you throw bread crusts and seed out, then you'll probably get exotic birds. So it depends. Um, but the other thing you can do, of course, is plant things that birds like. In terms of the vegetation, you just have to, produce, to grow, plant something which is sort of vegetationally um, more complex. That, you know, If you just have a lawn with a few little low shrubs then it's not going to be very interesting so you need to have kind of layers of vegetation but but there is scope for skinks um if like if you have if you build an area where they have a lot of retreats where they can get, you know get away from predators from and in terms of invertebrates i shouldn't forget those i'm not a specialist but just leaving stuff on the ground you know leaving logs on the ground um, and leaf litter uh, will really enhance what kind of invertebrates you have as well 
cities are always really focused on human needs. Um, they don't, don't really consider other species' needs in terms of things like regulations around the density of residential development. I think um, we have to be really careful. Also, city councils, I, I think they should be providing incentives for private landowners to actually improve their land, um, even at the garden scale. So it's not all doom and gloom for native fauna that take refuge in our built-up areas, and there are various ways to contribute to their survival. Different people have different opinions and levels of knowledge about urban biodiversity, but there seems to be scope for further education and actions to ensure we can see chirping birds in our backyards for years to come. To listen to more podcasts made by science communication students at the University of Otago, check out Our Changing World's Summer Science web pages, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.